And our scripture reading today is Romans 12, 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, to the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in generosity, to the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, good morning. Uh, so you, you saw the passage up there. We're going to talk about uh, gifts and serving. Um, but the announcements were so good that I'll probably just wrap up. We got all the message there. That was great. Um, no, I'll keep talking. Don't worry. Uh, my name is Houston. I'm the church planning resident at The Vine. So that means that, Lord willing, in the next some number of years, uh, we'll look at planting another church, uh, and maybe we'll be the next Redeemer City or East Side uh, in Madison area. Um, and, and really, I'm just so pumped to be here today with you guys. Uh, I love the book of Romans, and that's really cliche. I know a lot of pastors and people say things like that, but, but really, it's, it's so good. It's so dense and so relevant to our lives today and so fun to dive into and chew on and pull apart and then have no idea what's going on. And, and one thing I really love about the book of Romans is how Paul had never visited Rome before he wrote this letter. He, he'd never visited the church in Rome uh, before he wrote, and, and he knew the church, he knew of the church, and, and clearly he had some contacts there, like chapter 16, you know, he's going to talk about people that he knows. Uh, but he wasn't a part of starting it, and, and ultimately he didn't uh, oversee it in any way. And so it's interesting for me uh, then to read the letter of Romans, because there's clearly so much heart and wisdom here. But Paul didn't really know these people, definitely not as well as he would have liked. He says, he says in uh, Romans 1, 11 through 12, he says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I can't help but feel like that's a little bit where I'm at today as I come to preach. And now I'm not comparing myself to Paul by any stretch. Uh, and, and I have been here a couple times before, that's true. But uh, I'm just saying that I, I feel like I'm in a similar situation that I've, I've been asked to come and preach, and, and I'm here, even though we don't know each other super well. And so my hope is today that, like Paul in the letter to the Romans, that you'll hear my heart for you, for, for Redeemer City Church, my heart for preaching the word, and I hope that just like Paul said, that we can be mutually encouraged by each other today, by each other's faith. And, and really, that's what we're getting at today in our text in uh, Romans 12, 3 through 8. We're talking about being mutually encouraged by each other and by serving each other and by each other's faith. And, and so what we're going to see today is that even though Paul, he didn't know this church as well as he'd have liked to, 
He knew what the church in Rome and ultimately every church needs in order to survive, in order to thrive. So again, my hope today is that we can be mutually encouraged today as we dive into what it looks like for the local church to thrive. And along the way, we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see that pride is poisonous for communities. Second, we'll see that God has made us a diverse people. And third, we'll see that even though we're diverse, we're called to be a unified people. So let's pray. Father, like we sang this morning, um, we're just, I'm just so caught up in the idea that your mercy is so much more, Lord. And I I pray that during this time that uh, you would speak today and that you'd move me out of the way and that you'd speak through your word today. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, like the song said, although our sins are many, that your mercy is more. And I pray that'd be something that would mark our community together, that your church, um, as we come together, would be a people of mercy, people of love, and we could reflect you through our diversity, but also through our unity, Lord. And we love you, and we pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, O Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive in today. But instead of starting in verse 3, we're going to go backtrack just a little, and we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 12. So you'll see it on the screen, but if you want to pull out your Bibles, we're not going too far. And just like Nate said last week, these two verses are are foundational for the rest of our uh, time in Romans, for the rest of Romans. It's, It's a turning point in the letter, and my guess is that we're going to keep turning back to this point. Uh, as you go on in Romans, go on in the series. And so here's what Paul said in verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so today we're going to drill down on this part right here at the end, where Paul says not to be conformed, but be transformed. And what Nate showed us last week is that this this being transformed is how we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He said last week, and I love this, he said that the world wants to conform us to a mold but that the Lord wants to transform us for our freedom and his glory. And so what Paul is doing here in our passage today is he's taking this idea of being transformed and he's going to expand upon it. He's going to show us how this plays out in community. And he's going to go on from there. You'll remember the Madison Multiply series. We dove even more into this idea of how this plays out in community. And so I want us to keep that in mind today when we jump into our passage And you'll see in our passage today, if you could put verse 3 on the screen, right off the bat, you're going to see the first word, for. So this takes us back to the previous two verses, the ones I just read. And everything today is building on last week's sermon. Everything today is is being built on this idea of being transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can know the Lord's will for us in our lives. And it's because of that that Paul goes on to say this in verse 3. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so right away we see that Paul starts talking about being transformed instead of conformed. Uh, And when he's talking about that, he says that it's important how we think about ourselves. So for Paul, the renewal of our minds he's talking about, part of that starts with how we view ourselves. So the idea is that for the Christian, the, the truths that Paul unfolded for us in the first 11 chapters of the book, the truth of the gospel should affect how we think about us. So this idea that if, if Jesus really did live the perfect life, and he did, and, and if Jesus really did die on the cross, the death that I deserved, and he did, and if he rose from the grave so that we have hope for new life, and he did, then I have to look inward and start considering myself, and I have to realize that I don't really have a leg to stand on here. And this is the whole idea behind behind our rhythms of confession and assurance, like what Nate did earlier. It's this idea that as Christians, we believe that God is so good and that we're not, but that he loves us still. And, And in that space of love, we have freedom to confess our sins and to see ourselves in true light. And so I think for me, it, it's, it kind of feels like, you know, at carnivals, those like funhouse mirrors, like the funky mirrors that look different. I love those mirrors because when you find the right one, I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I love that. But, but also you find the wrong one and I, I look like Humpty Dumpty. But that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. Right? He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself with sober judgment. He could say something like, don't look at yourself in a funhouse mirror, but look at yourself in a good mirror. And remember, he's got the health of the church at Rome in mind when he says this. He wants them to be transformed instead of conformed. And it's important for Christian community, for us, to have a sober view of ourselves, to think of ourselves with sober judgment. And so let's, let's think about why. Let's, let's think back to this funhouse mirror. Let's say I go in, I look like Arnold, and I believe that this is what I really look like. I'm walking around, you know, flexing in my shirt. I think that I am like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And if I believe that, I'm going to act a lot differently than I probably should. Imagine... My wife, Kinsey, and I, we're out for dinner, we're out late, we get in the car, and a guy comes out of the shadows, and he says, give me your money. He's a big guy, big burly dude. Well, if I'm high on my own supply over here, and I think I look like Arnold, if I think that I'm the Terminator, I'm ready to take this guy out, right? But friends, you can take one good look at me, no, that would not turn out well. This would not go well for me, and it would not go well for my wife, Kinsey. And that's, that's, a, that's a silly example, right? But we probably all have this case of seeing ourselves with an inaccurate image, right? And that's exactly what Paul is warning us against. It's important that we don't have a bad view of ourselves because this false self-image is destructive. And it's not just because we think that we're 
stronger or more handsome than we are because we might win Mr. Universe, uh, but it's because we think we're better than we are. When we think we're better than we are, we tend to inflate our own self-importance. And, and in the Christian community, inflating our own self-importance is the fast track to destruction. It's a poison that seeps into community and starts to destroy it from the inside. When we inflate our own self-importance, we start to say things like, yeah, Jesus was pretty great, but I didn't need that much help. Yeah, what he did for us on the cross was very good, but like, I had it 80% of the way. And then we're on the fast track to blazing our own trail for salvation, earning our own salvation. Or by this, when we think too highly of ourselves, then we start to separate and pull away from each other. Because, well, so-and-so, they said this to me. Can you believe that? Who do they think they are? Or, or when someone doesn't give us the deference that we think that we deserve. You know, there's something wrong with them, right? Don't they know how great I am? Basically, Paul is warning the church at Rome to make sure that they think about themselves with sober judgment because there is a lot at stake here with overinflated egos. And so the question here, the question then, is how do we guard against this? But Paul says it right here. Think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what Paul means by this is that we have to exercise our faith that God has given us in order to rightly view ourselves. We have to trust him and lean into our trust in him in order to really get a good idea of what we're like. A pastor and theologian, his name was C.E.B. Cranfield. He said it way better than I could. He said this, one's faith should provide the basis for a true estimation of oneself, since it reveals that one is dependent, along with other believers, on the saving mercy of God in Christ. In other words, when we think about what God has done for us, how helpless we were without him, and the fact that all of us believers are in the same boat, it should give us humility. We should see that, hey, I'm no better than anyone else. What I think is really important for us as Christians to see is that this, this idea is a benefit. It's a blessing, not a curse. It's a good thing for me not to think of myself as better than anyone else. It is a very good thing for me to be humbled in light of what God has done for me. And man, it is a good thing for me to see myself, myself as in the same boat as every other believer. It's because this, this place of humility and, and mutual submission is exactly what we need in order to be the church. We have to see that we're called to be unified. And, and this humility to come together is that first step in being unified and brought together. And we're called to be unified. We're called to be brought together, not apart. But it's important for us to see that although we're called to unity, we're not called to uniformity. 
And that's exactly why Paul is talking about sober judgment, because by nature of the church, we're, all gonna, we're not all going to be the same. In fact, here in verses 4 through 5, he's going to point out that we're like a body. We've got different parts. And one part is no better than another part, but they're all different. They serve different purposes. And let's see. Let's go on verse 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Let's see what he says here. Verse 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And so it's with this humility in mind, it's this sober judgment that we uh, can go on talking about our roles in the church. Notice that order. It's fundamental for the Christian community that we have to start from a place of sober judgment and humility before we can step into a space of unique areas of service and gifting. And in that, in, this two, in these two verses, Paul's going to show us two things. First, he's going to show us that we have to recognize our diversity. That just like a body has different parts, people in the church are like those different parts of the body. You know, body's got arms and legs and eyes and kidneys and a nose. And just like that, the body of Christ has such a diversity within it. And the implication here is that we each have a purpose in the body of Christ. So just like the normal body, the human body, you know, the arm is moved, used for moving and grabbing things and, and flexing muscles. And, and the legs are used for carrying and doing sweet kicks and things. And, and even the kidney, the good old kidney, is useful and important for filtering blood. And so the picture here is that believers, as believers, we have different roles in the church. And some of these roles are going to be more obvious than others. You know, when Nate gets up to preach every Sunday, it's a little more obvious his role than someone who meets with people and counsels them in private. But, and this is important, is the job of preaching on Sundays more important than the job of meeting and counseling on the weekdays? Or what about teaching and caring for the kids? Or what about running tech? Or what about going out and feeding people? What about cleaning and keeping the, the building in one piece? You know, in the church, we recognize that every single one of these jobs is so important to the whole. This is all a part of what Paul's talking about by being transformed and not conformed. See, the world wants to tell us that there's a hierarchy of importance in these jobs in the church. You know, Nate's on stage every day. I'm sorry, Nate, I'm picking on you. Nate's on stage every day. He must be the most important person here, right? The world wants to tell us that, that one job is more important than another, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that there is one indispensable part of the body, and that is the head, Jesus. And all the rest of us are just called to serve each other and to serve him. And this brings us to our second point, that we see we have to recognize our unity. I talked about this earlier, but it bears repeating. Those of us who follow Jesus, you know, the, the church as a whole across the whole world, 
is the body singular of Christ. And this is a big image. And honestly, we don't have time to dive all the way into this today. But the point is that we're together, that we're one body, that we're one unit. And we have to see that being a Christian means being a part of something. It doesn't just mean that you know, we show up to church on Sundays. It's not just something we believe. It means that we're called together to be one body. And it's interesting, this, this idea is kind of similar to how the Bible talks about marriage. I'm not suggesting that if you become a Christian, suddenly you've got millions of husbands and wives. So I'm saying. That would be weird. No, what I'm saying is, is that as Christians, we're all bound together by our commitment. It's like marriage in that before the ceremony where two people once stood, after the ceremony, there's one person. And similarly, the whole church is bound together in Jesus as one figurative body. And so we have to see that although we are diverse and we've got different roles, we belong to one body and to one another. See, he says that there. He doesn't just say, you know, one body has many members, members don't have the same functions. He doesn't just say in verse 5, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. Yes, that's true. But also, we're individually members one of another. And this is so powerful. This is such a powerful truth of the Christian life that when we become Christians, we are not just one body belonging to Jesus. We are that, and that's good. But we also belong to other Christians. As Christians, we immediately have this place where we belong. And I think that that is just so important. That's such an important message for the world today. Isn't that what the people around us are looking for? People are looking for a place to belong, a place where they're important and their contributions are meaningful. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes those people are difficult to love. And as a church, sometimes we're going to face times where we have people come join us that are difficult. They're difficult to be around, difficult to love. You know, maybe they're just not good with people. Maybe they have some reason why it's hard to adjust a community. Whatever it is, we have to decide, what are we going to do? <clears throat> do we read this as, you are members one of another, as long as that other guy is cool? And we have to see that as Christians, we're called to associate with those, not just with those we like, but with those who are difficult. We're called not just to associate with the people who are useful to us, but with all members of the body. And that means we take everyone, warts and all. And really, this brings us back to this idea of sober judgment, because it can be easy for me if I'm honest with myself, to stand here and, and, and say, like, I'm, I'm a pretty easy person to love, right? But Lord knows, before Jesus, I was not. And, and if I'm honest, probably not today. I'm not a very easy person to love all the time. And so how could I possibly elevate myself above somebody else, somebody who is difficult 
<clears throat> someone who has come into the community who is hard to be around, how can I possibly elevate myself above them when, when really we're all in the same boat? Without Jesus, I suck, right? And so it's with this sober judgment <clears throat> in faith that we consider ourselves so that we can live as a diverse unity, welcoming in all who follow Jesus and bringing one body together. And it's here that Paul shows us what it means to be that one body together. And I think that whenever we think about how to respond to the Bible, <clears throat> how we live in light of what we read, I think it's so important to just recognize that sometimes the response is right there in the text. And so today as we kind of turn the corner and, and think about a response or, or application type of time, we're just going to dig into these last few verses, and that's going to be our time today. But first, I always like to remind us where, where we've been. We talked about how pride, how elevating ourselves above others in the church is poisonous for the community. We talked about how the church is made up of a diversity of people, each with different gifts and roles. And third, we saw that though we are a diversity of people, we are a unified people where people belong. And so it's with that in mind that I want to look at this picture of how we can be a humble but diverse people, unified together. Let's read 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our own serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who extorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the deal here. Paul did not know the church in Rome intimately. He knew some people, for sure, and, and maybe he knew what their gifts were, but, but as a whole, he didn't know this church and their giftings. And so we should see, first and foremost, this list as an example list, not an exhaustive list. He didn't know exactly what he's uh, dealing with in Rome. And so what I want us to see, the important thing here, is not that Paul is commending people to these gifts, but he's showing the way that we exercise the gifts that we have. And so you take this first one, if you throw uh, five back on the screen, or six, sorry. So this first one, prophecy. It says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, prophecy is going to sound pretty weird to a lot of us today. It's not something we see every day in church. But it shouldn't scare us. See, anytime we hear the word prophecy, we start thinking of, like, people predicting the future and maybe, like, fold-out signs over your chest kind of thing. But almost always that's not what it means in the Bible. Almost always it refers to somebody speaking on behalf of God to somebody. So in the Old Testament, the prophets were not necessarily the ones who were predicting the future. They were the ones who had a message from God to his people. They were the ones who were calling Israel out on unfaithfulness or, or calling out kings on their shady dealings, telling them they need to straighten up or bad things would happen. And so when we look at this, we have to see that Paul is not saying, 
I want you to make sure that you've got a prophet among you. No, what he's saying is that if you have the gift of prophecy, use it in according to the measure of your faith. And what in the world does that mean? Well, it means that just like earlier, when we consider ourselves in light of our faith in Jesus, we have to exercise our gifts in that same measure of faith. So think about someone who is sure they have the gift of prophecy. And they want to exercise that gift. They claim to be speaking a word from God to somebody. And that is absolutely possible in the Christian life. I'm not saying it's not. What I'm saying and what Paul is saying is that it is important that that person uses their faith to measure the message that they are giving. Because the worst thing that can happen is someone gives someone else a personal opinion and say, this is a word from God. That's dangerous for the community. Because again, the goal of these gifts, the goal of all of these gifts that Paul is talking about is to build the community up, not to tear it down. And and don't we know that sharing our own opinions of other people's lives, claiming that this is a word from the Lord, can be a destructive thing. We've seen that play out time and again. But on the other hand, sharing a word from the Lord, a life-giving word from the Lord, is such a beautiful and helpful thing to do. And so what we have to do is we have to take this idea of measuring our gifts against our faith that it says in this first one about prophecy and and apply that to the rest. It doesn't quite say, doesn't quite structure it like that, but but that's the idea, is that we read this first one, it says prophesy in according to your faith, in proportion to faith. And so what we should see is that Paul is using this idea of in proportion to your faith for all the rest of these gifts. And so that means is say your gift is teaching. You should teach. And you should rein in your teaching by the measure of your faith. Don't go out there thinking that just because you're so much, or because you're, you know, the teacher here and the other people are the students, you're not so much better than they are. This is not a hierarchical position. No, we remember that we're all in the same boat and that right now your role is teacher. And if you are gifted to serve, to to do the practical things, to meet people's needs, whether that's repairs, cleaning, administration, these fine gentlemen in the tech booth. Do it with joy, knowing that you're serving the body of Christ. And like before, measure what you're doing against your faith. And ultimately, we can't be afraid to ask this question. Is what I'm here Is what I'm doing here consistent with what I believe about Jesus and the gospel? And lastly, we have to recognize that this goes both ways. Yes, this question should affect the ways that we are currently serving, but it should also move us towards service in some way. See, it's interesting here, the the assumption that Paul makes is actually not that everyone is serving in their giftings, but that everyone has giftings. And just like in the first century church in Rome, we all have gifts for the benefit of the church and the glory of God. And just like in first century Rome, not everyone is exercising their giftings. 
So what I want to encourage us with is this. You have been given gifts to use for the service of the church and the glory of God. So you should use it. I don't know what that gift is. Honestly, I don't know that I always know what my own giftings are. But I know that you should give it a shot and try and serve. And one of the best things you can do is respond to ask for help in the church. We heard these announcements earlier. The church needs children's ministry volunteers, two more volunteers. This is actually in my notes. This is just perfect timing. Maybe you're gifted with teaching or caring for kids, and this is your chance to serve in the church. Or maybe you've been gifted with time and a ride to church, and this is your chance to use that gifting in the church. Either way, it doesn't matter what your gifting is. The call is the same. The call is to serve. We have to look at, the, we look at where we are and those around us. We have to look at the needs around us. We have to recognize that the gathered church has needs and that we need to try and serve in those areas. And we know we're not going to be able to do it all. You can't do it all. I can't do it all. No one can. But we know that, that we have been given gifts to exercise. Gifts that God has given us. And so let's go out and do that. Let's use our gifts to serve the church and glorify the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time we have together. I thank you for Redeemer Church. I thank you for the ways that you're working here. And I pray that as we all go from here, Lord, that, that we could be a people that reflect you and reflect the gospel, not just in what we believe and not just in the ways that we interact with each other, but in the ways that we serve. Uh, we believe what your word says, that we've all been called to different roles and services uh, in the church and, and outside of it. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would empower us by your spirit to serve in those areas and to glorify you, Lord, with that. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for everything you give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.